More exclusive content at patreon.com slash consensus on reality. Welcome to episode 23 of Consensus on Reality. Today we are joined by Ted Hand, who is the um, designer of the uh, PKD Tarot, or the Fool's Journey of Philip K. Dick, which is exactly as it sounds, a tarot deck sort of inspired by the life and works of Philip K. Dick. And we'll get into talking about that and tarot and Philip K. Dick and everything. So welcome to the show. Hey, thanks very much. It's an honor to be here. And wow, episode number uh, 23 of uh, yeah. a big blog post on uh, on PKD's relationship with Robert Anton Wilson. Right. Awesome. Right. Yeah. Uh, I've been listening to the audiobook of uh, Eric Davis's High Weirdness, mm. and I just got to the the PKD chapter and yeah so there's a lot of uh yeah that's a have you read that one or do you, yeah, you know highly, yeah highly recommend it I've had the pleasure of sharing a stage with Eric a couple of times uh at uh, one time at an esoterica conference and one time mm-hmm. at a PKD conference that we put on an SF hmm. and awesome. uh yeah talking about uh he was talking about dick and Gnosticism I was talking about dick and alchemy a, a good time was had by all <laughs> that sounds great yeah yeah I wish I was at that, yeah, instead of uh, no conferences ever. (laughs) Well, it it has been cool, you know, getting to check out a lot of conference lectures on Zoom lately. That's true. I might not have seen otherwise because they're recording them and uh, Mm. watching people's book talks and whatever. It's it's been. uh, Yeah, yeah. I wonder why we hadn't been doing that the whole time. Right. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I wonder if they'll keep recording stuff now. For I mean, yeah. Um, Cool. So. Uh, I guess generally to start off, how did you, uh, a, a two-pronged question, how did you uh, get into tarot and when did you start reading uh, Philip K. Dick? So I, you know, I, I, I had a cool older cousin when I was a, a teenager and he was a, you know, hipster who was into the band Sonic Youth. <laughs> and uh, uh, I remember I was hanging out with him um, and uh, his roommate was reading the, uh, biography of, of Philip K. Dick. Uh, mm. I'm guessing it was Divine Invasions by Lawrence Sutton, right? Yeah. Which is, um, I think Robert Anton Wilson described it as like more exciting than a spy novel. <laughs> and I remember I was, you know, 16 years old and I'm like, why are you reading, you know, you're living in this punk rock house in, in Oakland. Like, why are you reading, uh, uh, you know, the biography of an author? And uh, uh, that just got me curious, right? And I ended up reading the guy a bit, um, I found his his novels at the uh, local library. And it wasn't until college that I I went and read that biography, and, and they also had the uh, the letters of PKD in my college library. Mm. I just dug into those, and and it, it was understanding why people were sort of fascinated by the guy's life mm. and yeah. how that gets kind of woven into the novels, especially if you read uh, uh, the the Vallis trilogy, his final uh, sequence of novels. Um, and so, uh, 
I was reading Philip K. Dick. I was reading Robert Anton Wilson, reading Terrence McKenna, you know, guys from the, the High Davis book, uh, the Davis High <laughs> Davis book, right? Yeah. And um, I remember there was something that Wilson said about how he just like bought himself a tarot deck and uh, declared himself a witch, right? Like declared himself <laughs> a psychic, whatever. And I thought that sounded like a cool idea. And I was able to get the classic, uh, the Alistair Crowley Thoth tarot deck into like mm -hmm. large size. Yeah. Which, uh, if anybody has an extra one that they, they, they don't want, you know, send it my way. Uh, I've been I've been searching the world over for another one of those large size ones since my deck is missing the uh, the love card, um, which I try not to take as some kind of a, a cosmic uh, symbol. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so you know, when I was getting into Alistair Crowley through uh, uh, Robert Ant Wilson at the time, and um, getting into Gnosticism through uh, PKD, which I would end up doing basically years and years of graduate level study on all of this esoteric material, uh, largely inspired by my reading of, of these dudes. And uh, and so that's what, um, I, I, I hope I'm not uh, anticipating your next question here. And so that's what led to the idea, you know, almost 20 years ago now to, to have a Philip K. Dick tarot deck because uh, there's so many great characters in Dick that are sort of like archetypal figures, right? Mm -hmm. Like Dick had this this deep interest in Carl Jung, um, which also conditions his interest in the I Ching, which is also woven into PK and Terror. There's a whole, you know, 64 hexagrams of the I Ching uh, mm -hmm. kind of cross-mapped onto there. And uh, I just thought, you know, Palmer Eldritch is the devil. And the Black Iron Prison is the tower, and that was uh, that was really the the genesis of the thing. And I, I put up a live journal about it, so it must have been like two thousand three, and yeah. <laughs> that was how I, uh, I I came up with the major Arcana part. Mm. Um, awesome, yeah. And so then uh, years later, I met a fellow on the internet, Christopher Wilkie. Uh, maybe ten years later, right? And uh, it took him about five six years. Uh, but he signed on for the project, right? And yeah. uh, he thought it sounded cool. And he's interested in um, in, in tarot design, I guess. And, and so he's working on a whole other tarot project that's sort of like the um, the art from a deck of cards, like made into a tarot, which, you know, oh, cool. that's tarot cool. enthusiasts love to brag that we could just give you a reading with a plain old deck of cards, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And, uh, and, uh, and yeah, and a few years ago, the deck was finally published. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's really interesting, uh, like an entry entryway into Dick, too, is starting with the biography, because obviously uh, his own life and, and the events that transpired later in his life are so important to his canon of work. Um, and also, obviously, uh, Raw, you know, too, Raw writing so much about PKD, especially in Cosmic Trigger, I think is definitely what um, informed my trajectory on Dick as well, especially with the Vallis trilogy. Uh, I feel like we could talk a bunch about that <laughs> being like probably one of the most profound moments in, in his career. I wonder if you agree. Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting, you know, you can go back and trace these same themes all the way back into his early work. Um, and um, so, you know, I'm not necessarily going to like, you know, privilege the Vallis trilogy, and uh, it, it, but it, it is definitely some of his most interesting work. And, um, you know, one of the more important 
forms of growth that I think that he went through is he listened to the criticisms of his female characters. Mm. And in um, the transmigration of Timothy Archer, the third novel of the Vallis trilogy, you know, we finally see, uh, you know, a really serious effort that he made to like present a, a well-rounded three-dimensional um, female character. And, uh, you, you know, we see how he listened to people like Ursula Le Guin, um, you know, and, and really took their uh, their criticisms to heart of the sort of like castrating shoe char- shrew characters that he used to uh, mm-hmm. use. Um, so um, I'll, I'll tell you guys a little bit about my work on Vallis, which you can you can hear if you check out my um, my uh, conference lectures, which I have on online. Um, I uh, discovered that uh, when when Dick was writing Vallis, he was uh, influenced not only by uh, Robert Anton Wilson, who shows up in Vallis uh, and in the Exegesis, uh, but also by Francis Yates, who wrote a book called uh, mm. Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic Tradition. Yeah, yeah. And that book shows up in uh, in Cosmic Trigger scene, where Robert Anton Wilson is in jail interviewing Timothy Leary, and he asks, you know, like Leary's talking about how the secret to Giordano Bruno's magic is sexual, and Wilson's like, "Did you read that in Francis Yates?" And Leary brags that he figured it out by reading uh, Bruno on his own, right? And um, so this whole idea in Vallis of like the hermetic alchemists who have the like knowledge of this creature made out of information, the homoplasmate, we really read about this in the appendix to Vallis. It's this weird kind of science fictionalizing of alchemy and the hermetic tradition. And um, there's just certain things about it that made me think, you know, that sounds a lot like Francis Yates's uh, uh, ideas. And it turns mm-hmm. out um, Pamela Jackson, who edited the exegesis, um, and has read the whole thing, the whole, you know, eight, 9,000 pages of manuscript. She's read it through apparently twice. She might be the only human being that's actually read <laughs> the whole thing. Um, although now, you know, they have guys like transcribing it online. They have a whole project yeah. of people who are doing a Zebrapedia under uh, Rich Doyle in, uh, uh, at a university in, in, in Philadelphia. Oh, really? If I'm not mistaken. Hmm. Um, Anyways, where was I? I've gotten off track. And um, I was explaining about the yeah. question was, sorry, guys. Well, I think this this uh, this subject kind of is going to lead us off track a bunch of times, probably. It's just Dick's work is that oh, kind yeah, of Oh, yeah, we thing. were talking about Vallis. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so Pamela Jackson figured out that Vallis had, uh, or I'm sorry, that Dick had... Uh, had uh, read Francis Yates and that uh, one of his friends, it was either, uh, my theory is it was either Tim Powers or, or K.W. Jeter. Uh, one of his friends had laid a copy of the Rosicrucian Enlightenment. And so, um, you know, one of my next projects is going to be to look at all this Zebrapedia material because the exegesis that we have that we got in 2012 yeah. is only like 1,200 pages out of the vast, you know, yeah. 9,000 page manuscript of the exegesis. Uh, which which Vallis is really a commercial for, you know, I mean, it's like he wrote mm-hmm. these novels kind of hoping that people, I think, in, in my opinion, I think that he was hoping people would read. And there's actually one of his final interviews with uh, Greg Rickman. He says, you know, oh, you should read my notes. Like, it, it seems like he's kind of proud of these notes and wants people to read them. Uh, but he he definitely did inscribe a mention of having read uh, Yeats's Rosicrucian Enlightenment um, in, in there, in the exegesis. And uh uh, Yates was also a favorite of uh, Terence McKenna, who, um, mm. when he did his lectures on alchemy, you can get on the internet, you know, um, 
he had people, you know, who came to these conferences and paid, you know, 300 bucks for the weekend workshop with Terrence McKenna, right? Like he had people reading Francis Yates. He had people reading Giordano Bruno and the Hermetic tradition and like weaving all of this early modern alchemy stuff into his spiel. Mm. Yeah, those yeah, lectures are yeah. amazing. Those uh, McKenna Hermetic lectures. Oh, all on yeah, YouTube yeah. Now. yeah. I, I was just at the uh, the event with Dennis McKenna that they did the like 50 year retrospective on uh, oh. the true hallucinations experiment at La Carrera. Mm. And I asked, you know, so where, where did you guys get your info on alchemy? And he said that uh, uh, Terrence McKenna told him when they were kids, like before you take acid, read Carl Jung's ph ph uh, psychology and alchemy, <laughs> uh, which, which Dennis didn't, apparently he just blazed uh, right in there and, and took the acid, but, um, <laughs> but he eventually, you know, went and read the book and, and saw what the, what all the fuss was about. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, Jung is, is again, a, a major influence on, on Dick in this regard. That's why he becomes yeah. the, uh, the hierophant in, in the tarot, the PKD tarot. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's great to see Young in there. Um, yeah, how did you, what was the process of deciding uh, what the uh, major arcana would be, uh, other than the ones that originally inspired you? So the, the basic idea behind the deck, you know, is that like, so like the average Philip K. Dick fan isn't necessarily all that sympathetic to all the weird Gnostic you know, visionary material that Dick gets mm. into at the end of his life. Uh, they might necessarily, they might not necessarily be hip to the last 20, 30 years of esoteric studies where uh, material like Gnosticism and Renaissance magic is, is finally sort of on the map for academic historians of religion. And right. uh, especially like understanding the role that magic and alchemy played in the history of science, which is one of my big topics. Mm. Um, uh, Dick really anticipated uh, a lot of these movements and, and, you know, he was interested in stuff that at the time was sort of um, in the margins. Uh, now it's just sort of like a mainstream topic of study. And so um, I think that Dick really had his finger on the pulse of like what was going to happen. Uh, and, and I also appreciate how he contributed a lot sort of by explaining Gnosticism to like the American psychedelic counterculture, you mm -hmm. know, people like yeah, and yeah. Up and, and there's a flowering in the so-called occulture or, or the cultic milieu or however you want to put it. There's a flowering of Gnostic ideas, you know, and I remember when I was a kid and I, I went straight from an interest in, you know, Vallis and Gnosticism to the like Gnostic society library on the internet, right? The internet just sort of like provided, you know, all of the, the Nag Hammadi library mm -hmm. in translation for free yeah. at my fingertips that I could just, you know, go continue uh, down the rabbit hole. Right. Yeah, it's, in, it's interesting, too. I think like the uh, that wellspring that opened up for Gnosticism and culture was directly a result of, of some of his early writings on simulacra and fiction, too, and stuff that kind of inspired later writers. Um like you know all the all the stuff that became the films of the 90s that that really like you know opened up all that the, conversation a lot all that french french theory in the 60s that explains the matrix yeah exactly um, right yeah yeah and and so anyway i was losing the thread once again but to bring it back to what i was saying um uh, so i wanted the tarot to kind of explain dick's esoteric side um mm. you know to the like average sci-fi fan 
right? And to be able to explain Dick to like the esoteric research community. And, um, and so uh, you were asking me, you know, what, what led to like the associations and the tarot. And I feel like they really just jumped out at me. Mm. Uh, they were, um, you know, these, these Dick ideas like Palmer Eldritch or like Ubik um, or uh, the, uh, uh, one of my favorites is the the story Galactic Pot Healer, right? Where where this guy is contacted by this weird alien creature who wants him to raise this cathedral that's underwater on Plowman's planet, and you got like you know references to you know medieval Christian epics of um, pilgrimage. You've got uh, uh, you've got like an explicit Jungian allegory, um, and so there's just so many great concepts in Dick that I thought would be perfect to like make cards out of and kind of like be suggestive to the reader and, you know, to get the reader thinking, oh, I'd love to, um, to read that story and uh, kind of get people deeper into the Dick catalog and, and further down the rabbit hole. So I used a lot uh, for the pip cards, you know, uh, mm-hmm. I used a lot of the sh- short stories. And uh, I think that the short stories are a great place to go. They're a neglected resource. Um, and, and you may notice that most of the movies that get made out of Philip K. Dick uh, material get made from the stories and not the novels. Mm-hmm. And, right. and it's really the stories where we see the situations where Dick is doing these beautiful satires of the kind of spiritual deadness of capitalism. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, on, on the subject of Philip K. Dick movies, uh, you know, my, my personal opinion is that, you know, I don't think that the essence has really been captured yet. Like reading Philip K. Dick has not been, yeah, except maybe weirdly in the Radio Free Albemuth one, which I felt like oh, kind of. I, I helped to promote the Radio Free Albemuth film. I'm a great awesome. fan of it. I still owe those, hmm. those good folks a, uh, I just sent them a copy of the deck actually over, oh. over oh, cool. the holidays. Um, and I, I, I love the way that they just went for it. And there was nothing in the novel that, that they shrunk away from, from doing, you know, and right. they even like found some like kooky special effects for the like fire bright, you know, character, the like spiritual entity, right. They, they did some kooky like lighting effects and whatever. And, um, yeah. I mean, it's it's a little bit cringe that they had Alanis Morissette singing, <laughs> right? But um, but I, I thought I thought that that was one of the more faithful, and um, you know, and and in, in terms of the concerns of the the tarot deck, of course, um, it, it's an it, it's an effort to to kind of translate Dick's yeah. religious and visionary experiences. Um, to the screen because you know radio free album it, it, it has this uneasy relationship with the Vallis trilogy as being a sort of a um what would you call it a an early draft of Vallis, right it's mm-hmm, a, it's right. it's a straight science fictional novel um as opposed to Vallis, which is like this weird blending of a mainstream literary novel with like there's these kind of moments of science fiction but then it goes mm-hmm. back uh to a regular novel um i recommend the work of the scholar umberto rossi who has done some really good work on, um, you know, what's Dick doing when he's like injecting the science fictional moment into a mainstream novel or in, in injecting yeah. biography into the novel. It's so interesting that the, the problems that are created for, for criticism with that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much uh, scholarship out there now on him. Um, 
which I think is is great. And you know, even like Library of America editions. So I think he's pretty well established as like a literary figure, which I think is is awesome. That's interesting that you kind of think of the deck as a way of uh, bridging maybe some divides that happen in like the PKD discourse, uh, because he is like kind of like almost like a saint figure in uh, in the esoteric tradition at this point, at least, at least in, you know, America. Um, But in in the science fiction tradition, he's like uh, something else, maybe similar, but. uh, He's kind of a weird uncle though, right? Like some people don't want to go, go that far. Right. Um, Yeah. People are like, Oh, you're into Philip K. Dick. Like I love my Robert A. Heinlein, like, you know, (laughs) you know, yeah, uh, Nazi stories, but like Philip K. Dick, <laughs> like that stuff's pretty weird. Um, yeah, that guy was crazy, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. So, but you know, and it's like I understand that a lot of science fiction fans, you know, want to do a kind of like, you know, materialist analysis of of society, right? And mm-hmm. they they want to think about technology, and and Dick gives you plenty of resources for like seeing how like the technocracy the kind of capitalist overlords have created this built environment where your reality breakdowns are happening they may resemble visionary experiences but you know really it's like you're you're, you're being controlled and your your reality is being broken down systematically by the right. mechanistic elements of you know this capitalistic society so it's like i understand why a lot of you know people who want to do serious work on dick just like want to talk about like marxism or something mm-hmm. yeah um, but, uh, but like really, you know, and, and this is another major theme of, of, um, of the tarot deck, like Dick's anti-capitalism is really tied up with his spiritual values. Mm. And, uh, and so like the Gnostic experience in Dick is sort of being able to see your way out of the labyrinth of these, these reality breakdowns of capitalism all around us. Mm. Totally. Yeah. And especially Lately, the world has, I feel like it's become quite uh, Dickian, um, which, and, you know, not, of course, it's, you could look at Dick as retro futuristic or something, like it's not one to one, but it is, as I've been kind of rereading some Dick stuff over the last little while, um, it's eerie. It is very eerie. Yeah, I think you can see him as some kind of a godfather of cyberpunk, uh, where he was just kind of describing the the the, the postmodern situation of late late capitalism, right? You know, the reason that that Frederick Jameson had Kim Stanley Robinson write his uh, doctoral dissertation on the novels of Philip K. Dick, right? It's like you know, this was just you know the work that needed to be done to kind of like understand the. Uh, um, the theoretical underpinnings of this this modern world and and dick just he just had his finger on the pulse like i said he was he was very tuned into it and he, but he wrote it up in this lavish allegorical you know wacky style um where he was able to say you know he was able to get very real he was able to describe the kind of you know procession of simulacra in a, in a very detailed and painstaking way because he was able to kind of fly under the radar with all this outlandish, uh, you know, material, all these these wacky archetypes, all of these crazy characters, um, you know, mm-hmm. the Palmer Eldridge character, right. um, for example. Um, and so, you know, when we see, 
you know, movies like The Matrix or The Truman Show or, you know, whatever, all of these examples of people being kind of stuck in these these little private worlds um, that are, in fact, manufactured. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. You know, they, they all sound just like Philip K. Dick stories. It's like there's this whole mindfuck science fiction genre. Mm. You know, I, I, I kind of got tired of it at a certain point. I remember in my 30s, you know, I was just like, you know, I don't want to watch um, Westworld. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's just too much. Like, you know, I've seen this already. Like, mm. um, like this came up when I went back to watch World on a Wire, which was the... Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Fassbender, yeah. You know, the, the precursor to the 13th floor, right? And yeah. um, uh, it's just like, uh, you know, it's just like, I've, I've done it. Like, I, I understand that this is like this beautiful... Um, you know, like fascinating original, you know, example of this genre, but it's like one puts in one's time, you know, you get the message and you hang up the phone. Yeah. Right. It's kind yeah, of totally. funny like that the the arconic model comes out of Alexandria, which is like there's like this upwards um, discontent that created all that that literature. Um, and then it when, when was the Nag Hammadi discovered like the 40s? yeah in the 40s it was a it was a fellow who was on a on a on a murder like vendetta (laughs) yeah yeah there's like a curious case yeah and then that's like kind of perfect timing for dick as well when he's writing yeah totally um yeah so it was i mean he, he he was he was one of the guys who really did popularize that that discovery and um yeah, it's 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 fascinating to to kind of trace everything that was sort of in the air when he was writing in like religious studies and esotericism. You know, that's been one of my projects is trying to figure out like where is it that he gets all of his ideas. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, one fun thing is that we have the encyclopedia that he used. Mm-hmm. So there's this like encyclopedia of philosophy where we can read the entries on like Giordano Bruno or Plotinus or whatever that that he was reading that were his like main sources when he was chewing over all this material. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, how much do you think he was someone who uh, uh, used like sources like that? Because um, I, th- I feel like he's thought of as this sort of, as this visionary, but I do think there's probably an aspect that's more of a, a synthesizer or something, if that makes yeah. sense. You know, he's he said right that the uh, the divine first manifests at the trash stratum, and uh, it does turn out, you know, and Eric Davis is very good on this, um, that he was really a dabbler when it, you know, when it came to this material. Like, you know, he was at UC Berkeley in the uh, philosophy department for like half a semester and, and washed out, yeah. right? Uh, and and he never really did go back to like a, a formal education. So all of this is the autodidact and he was just laying his hands on, you know, sort of whatever uh, he could get. And mm-hmm. I mean, in the same way that like, you know, I don't trust Terrence McKenna's um, interpretation of Francis Yates, as far as I can throw the book, um, you know, it's probably going to flap open in the wind and the pages are going to, you know, get stuck. <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's not necessarily that, um, and, you know, like I collected together all of his quotes on Plotinus for one of my talks, right? And I showed it 
to a, a, a you know friend at the time who was a, a, a scholar of Neoplatonism. He's just like, I don't even want to talk about what this guy says about Plotinus. It's just, it's all wrong. It's all just total misunderstanding, you know? And that's probably not fair, you know, but at the same time, it's like he's reading a kind of like summary of a summary of a summary that somebody who wrote an encyclopedia article, you know, probably didn't understand Plotinus very well and was was writing a very third-hand account of it. Right. And it's not, what we find valuable here is not necessarily that he understood, you know, exactly like what a, you know, a Coptic studies scholar would think about the Nag Hammadi. Um, but, but the kind of creative use, um, there's a great theory in Harold Bloom who wrote a book, Cabalon uh, Criticism, uh, the politics of misprision, um, the the sort of um, uh, the process of of misinterpretation and creative appropriation that happens in, uh, you know, and he is writing about Kabbalah as an example, and uh, uh, but it, it's everywhere in in the the transmission of esoteric ideas, you know, the transmission from ancient Gnosticism to kind of medieval natural philosophy to modern neo Gnosticism. Um, the ideas are completely transformed at some point mm. and um and so it's it, that becomes a, a challenge for the dick scholar or you know the the practitioner who wants to you know pick up and be inspired by his work i mean and it's it's so funny you know like there's a bit in the exegesis i, I discovered where he goes giordano bruno is my main man <laughs> And it's like this, this like slang term, my main man, you know, like the way that he is like translating his enthusiasm for this stuff into this kind of like hip lingo of the 70s. <laughs> yeah. you know? um, as, and, and, and that's essential to what's going on. Um, the way that he's creating this like science fictionalized format for just sort of like pitching the hermetic tradition um, to the psychedelic counterculture. You know, he kind of knew that there are people who are going to be turning on and reading his books, looking for, you know, not just like a far out, you know, sort of semi-Marxist head trip and rant about capitalism, but they're looking for a way to kind of like break out of the consensus reality that they're stuck in. And so, you know, he's able to kind of sell them on all this great occult material uh, through this science fictional format. And, um, you know, it's it's kind of like, and, and in my deck, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to like expose these mechanisms to show you um, sort of the tricks that he's using and um, the way that he creates these characters to kind of like, in the same way that the tarot is a set of signals, right? You know, the idea like this this book of thought that was written by the Atlantean um, who's, who's sending you these, you know, all these different TV channels that you can tune into and the, the different like frequencies of the theosophical cosmos, right? Uh, in the same way, I feel like Dick is sending you a bunch of different signals of the, the kind of configurations of, of these reality breakdowns that, that we encounter in, in the built environment of, of, uh, of the capitalist regime. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. It could, yeah, it does. It feels like sort of a, a mythology of, or maybe not mythology, but like a archetypal or something system of this uh, really quick capitalist world. Uh, quick, but imprisoning as well. Yeah.
I mean, like, like the eye in the sky vision, you know, like mm -hmm. it, it has a book eye in the sky, like not to be confused with the whole book eye in the sky, which is one of the like most paradigmatic of, of his novels. But, you know, he had this one vision where he like saw this, this like giant eye in the sky, like looking down on him. Right. And, um, this becomes a short story where a person like finds himself like being dumped onto a frying pan or you know, like yeah. a giant frying pan or something. Yeah. Um, but it's like, what a vision of surveillance, mm -hmm. right? You know, it's, it's like inescapable and, and you just sort of like have to, you know, you have to talk about that and how like there was this just sort of like dawning awareness coming out of the like, and it, it's funny how like, it was his version of the internet and social media where he was just like writing letters to the pulp novel, you know, the pulp um, magazine community. Yeah. And, and there was just this weird sort of like dawning awareness, you know, that they were being watched. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, that, yeah. What do you think of his sort of uh, the, the paranoia in his writing, or especially regarding like people breaking into his hat, like, you know, the, sort of uh that strain in, in pkt because that feels uh, you know on places like twitter and stuff like that today very relevant mm. oh yeah no yeah the, i mean the paranoia is very real and, and very well justified um uh, you know there's a few things in his biography that are important right one of his first wives was sort of um you know being looked at by the fbi and he always had kind of a, a chip on his shoulder about that right mm -hmm. but he also had this issue of kind of like insecurity and anything that he could use to like inflate his self-importance <laughs> right anything that he could work into these stories where he you know he loved bullshitting people right and so um uh on, on the other hand you know we talk about all of this beautiful gnostic esoteric visionary stuff uh my my friends who have read the whole exegesis or of you know who worked on the exegesis product like eric davis you know they warned me like look you know a lot of the material in the exegesis is not as interesting as the stuff that we published a lot of it is real tinfoil hat kind of vindictive stuff where where dick and you can read about this if you read the letters too um you know where he just sort of like feels slighted by somebody and he's just like running it down and just kind of like you know, fuming and venting for hundreds of pages of, of just vendetta, right? And um, and we know, you know, unfortunately that he was abusive with his his romantic partners time and time again. Mm -hmm. um, the guy was was a, was a mess, and um, you know, the drug stuff has been exaggerated, but but he did have a lot of issues with with meth, with uh, amphetamines that were prescribed that he was kind of taking in, in large amounts, and I think he was getting some on the street and so it seems that the break-in was probably just like a drug dealer you know mm -hmm. that like either that dick owed money to or um and and you know this theory doesn't feature prominently in the like dozen or so theories that he spins out to or paul williams in the uh, rolling stone article right um because it's like he, he's he, he wants to kind of sweep under the rug the evidence that would uh, lead you to believe maybe this isn't quite as complicated and and you know baffling a, a situation as you might think but i mean that you know the yeah. the the sort of consensus i think and and um and the 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 sober biographical community is that yeah he was probably just getting ripped off by 
a drug dealer and you know he was he was living in these uh these kind of um skid row conditions right where he was letting all these uh all these people crash and um it was it was a bad it was a bad scene um, yeah uh, but at the same time, I mean, like the FBI was going after his, his young wife and, you, you know, and, and he, I, I was just reading the quote, you know, where he says, like, when I was a, a kid and talking to a psychiatrist, I was like, well, like, aren't our, you know, societal values and norms, like, you know, just like kind of coming out of the Bible without a real scientific basis to them. And, you know, he was told like, well, this is your neurosis, you know, that you like dare <laughs> question like our you know societal norms and values and you, you know he he just always sort of had a chip on his shoulder about the fact that like institutions are going to be abusive and kind of gaslighting in this way mm. you know and he could never just sort of like it's like phil why can't you just kind of keep your head down you know like, <laughs> fight about it right like um that that he always just he always just felt the need to kind of like he, he couldn't let that go you know mm. And, and he had to just be constantly like exposing it, but in a way that was very socially costly to him. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sagittarius, I guess, huh? <laughs> Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, yeah. It's so fascinating. Yeah. His life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So fascinating. Um, the, the way that that uh, institutional banality is like captured in the books too. I mean, I guess you wouldn't have that, profound legacy if it wasn't costly to his life and his personal life i was fascinated i was just rereading um galactic pot healer right and there's this neat thing that he does where the the schlubby guy you know it's like his life is just sort of like his his job like he, he's got a bullshit job like the david graber thing you know yeah. he's supposed to fix pots but there's <laughs> like no demand for his services so he plays this game the internet right and and he's all sort of alienated but there's all of these places where there's some robot you know and he's there's like a robot at the doctor's office or there's a robot that like checks his bed you know to see if he's uh, having sex and he tries to like fake it out and like make the bed think that he's having sex and he always fails he's like always trying to beat these you know little little algorithms or whatever that are watching him and he and he always he always has some scheme that doesn't work <laughs> and you know it's like the way that he's just banging his head against it it's like he should know better but he tries anyway to fool these robots and then it's like it's like is there any accountability there because there's no like human watching him you know and like right what kind of a world is it you know and um like I, I think a lot about you know the built environment right like the way that like you know just like in the game of baseball like you just fail and fail and fail because the game is designed to be so hard right the world that capitalism put here for us like we fail and fail and fail like a philip k dick character you know we fail to kind of like understand what's going on and we get like um you know an overdraft fee at our bank or whatever right you know or like or we have to pay the atm fee like because we're running out of time and want to make it to our show or whatever it is that's going on you know we're constantly just being like fooled uh, by capitalism and, and being ripped off you know and it's like like in, in the in ubik joe chip like can't pay the door like his door is asking him for a nickel to, to leave his house uh you know and and like like i was watching um the the handmaid's tale the other day right 
And The Handmaid's Tale is really about what life is already like. You know, in the same way, like Joe Chip, like not being able to pay his door, it seems so ridiculous, you know, but but really, like, who was it? I think William Gibson said science fiction is always about the year in which it is written. You know, it's like this is what life is already like for some people, um, you know, who are just like getting screwed over harder than you know, the people who can afford to be sitting around reading Philip K. Dick novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but you know, Dick is always, like, talking about a reality with these ridiculous, fantastical situations. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that Gibson quote. Yeah, I, I think that holds up. Um, yeah. I think yeah. my favorite of Gibson's work is, like, just about the years that it was actually written in, that Blue Ant trilogy. Um but I would love if we could talk about the Robert Anton Wilson uh, PKD connection a little bit, because I love that that those parts of Cosmic Trigger, um, and especially when he's relating some of the uh, synchronicities involved with Philip K. Dick's um, mystical experience, or however you want to qualify it. Yeah. So yeah, Wilson was in on the uh, the whole serious mystery thing, right? right? Yeah that the yeah. dick was also into and apparently and it's such a shame that we don't know more about this the two guys met at some kind of a science fiction conference and you know basically the only people who were flies on a wall to this conversation were not sympathetic enough to the ideas under discussion uh to really have like recorded much of it mm. and um you know the two men themselves say you know basically that they were they were just sort of like checking each other out. They were so wary of each other, you know, like trying to make sure, um, because like, if this guy's crazy, that would mean that I'm crazy. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Um, yeah. And so, uh, yeah. So I recommend, um, checking out my, uh, I can, I can probably call up the blog post real quick for you. Um, I've got a nice blog post that gathers together pretty much all uh, the information um, that that I could find, uh, and uh, there's a little bit in um, the uh, the exegesis where where Dig talks about uh, Wilson, and um, I believe Cosmic Trigger was mentioned in 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 Vallis, mm. if I've got that right for memory. Okay, now I just need to find my Zoom, and I will dump this into your your chat here. Uh, so oh, go ahead cool. and yeah, throw this up on whatever. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so so yeah, so they. Oh, and and it was it was apparently one afternoon in in Santa Rosa where they had uh, their conversation, mm-hmm. um, and uh, so Wilson was also interested in 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 hermeticism, right and. Uh, uh, so that's why I want to write a, a book uh, about the, these three different guys, uh, you know, Wilson, McKenna, and and Dick, and uh, and their reading of, of alchemy, their reading of hermeticism. Yeah. How they, they all have a kind of a different take on it, you yeah. know, like mm-hmm. one of them was into Aleister Crowley. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, you know, Dick, at the same time that he was into a lot of this this magical stuff, he wasn't into the so-called occult, right? Although he did get into the Rosicrucians. Mm-hmm. Um, so let me see. I'm looking over the uh, the the stuff in the uh, the exegesis. Um, so uh, and and it, 
we see Leary, McKenna, and Hermes all come up uh, in a discussion of, of Robert Anton Wilson. And uh, here's what quote uh, what what uh, Dick says. Thus, I lived out the process the McKenna's described, somehow cut loose from objective time. Hmm. Uh, so Dick knew about the Terence and Dennis McKenna, you know, experiment at La Chirera, um, which is the the story from True Hallucinations, you know, where they ate all those mushrooms in the in the jungle, and yeah. you know, thought that they were like plugging into the. Uh, uh, the world soul or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so uh, there's another one where um, like Ubik is one of the most important ideas in the exegesis, right? The idea that he's going back and rereading his old novels and he's doing a kind of like allegorical interpretation where he's, he's finding the like mystical secrets that he unconsciously encoded in that novel and Ubik, the principle in the spray can that's the anti-entropic principle that's going to turn your Model T Ford back into a modern Toyota or whatever. Um, uh, that is actually like a Gnostic principle of the universe, right? Um, so here's, here's where he says, uh, where he's talking about Ubik. So if you push essence far enough in terms of ascending levels, you find you have gone a full circle you wind up encountering ultimate deity cooking and writing pop tunes on the radio and popular novels and a breath of wind in the weeds in the alley. It's as if the ultimate mystery is that there is no mystery. It's like what Robert Anton Wilson says in the cosmic trigger about being outside the castle when you yeah. think you're in and inside when you think you're out. Right. The chapel perilous. Yeah. And in a way, what is most paradoxical is that I said it all in Ubik years ago. So in a way, my exegesis of 2374 says only uh, Ubik is true. And then there's one more quote about conspiracies. Uh, the real conspiracy goes much deeper than conspiracy buffs such as Bob Wilson suspect. Although he almost had it in the theory that our universe is a hologram created by the intersection of two hyper-universes. So that idea in, uh, in Vallis of these like hyper-universes intersecting, somehow he's, he's plugging that into Wilson. I, I don't quite get it. I'm not sure um, what, what he was doing exactly. Um, and oh, and it's interesting also that in Vallis where he's starting, starting to talk about Robert Anton Wilson, he gets cut off. <laughs> so we don't actually find out um, what that character said. And I think about how I, I, I think Scanner Darkly does this really well, where he just sort of like has characters doing routines, mm-hmm. you know, and, and he's kind of like, he's kind of just like dramatizing the way that he and his friends would, would bullshit each other and, and would weave all of this weird religious stuff into their, their bullshitting process. Yeah. A lot of the time we have to be really careful when reading anything that Dick wrote, taking it too seriously, because it was often part of like an elaborate kind of put on or a prank. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love that about, (laughs) about him too. I mean, you know, if you're a writer, I guess, you know, that's kind of the name of the game. Um, Yeah. That, that part in Scanner Darkly where they're like counting the gears on the bicycle Right, it's just really, really funny. Yeah, that's a mind-blowing scene. I remember one time when I really slowed down and looked at that very carefully. It just like <laughs> reminded me of certain perplexities that I've experienced, like trying to, and and like having known guys like that, you know, guys who are just sort of these like loser know-it-all types, you know, <laughs> it's just very haunting. It's it, it it hits very close to home, but um. So, you know, it occurs to me, and this is something I'm, I'm trying, I'm working on an interview I'm going to do with Are You Serious on this topic, um, 
uh, the concept of humor, you know, um, I think that uh, there's a lot that we can compare in the sense of humor of, of Wilson mm. and, and the sense of humor of Dick, you know, and um, mm. and this idea of the castle, you know, I think that Dick is starting to get his wires crossed with with Kafka, right? Yeah. Um, he's like he's like Wilson's Chapel Perilous is all of a sudden like Kafka's the castle, you know, um, yeah. and there's, there's this interesting slippage that that goes on um, where where Dick's just like ready to kind of just like take whatever it is and, and deturn it and and find a new angle. Well, yeah. in um in Parsifal, which is related to the Arthurian myth, it's Kling Klingzor's castle, right? Mm. I don't know if that's where some confusion might have been generated. Yeah, yeah, the whole yeah, because Chapel Perilous comes from the Grail myth, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's um, the same concept of that um, in between, like a uh, liminal state. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Robert Anton Wilson is important in the way that PKD is of relating like Gnosticism to our current world and stuff. In the way that I think Robert Anton Wilson is with Crowley, where. Um, I don't know. He just kind of like simples it down a lot into that chaos magic realm of just like, okay, well, I'm gonna just going to talk about these linguistic processes and it's not like wrapped up in, in the sort of poetry that Crowley had it stuck in. Yeah. And I wouldn't say that we see a similar process in Dick, you know, that's, this is a great place to, to compare, you know, whereas like Dick is like writing anti-abortion stories, you know, like he's, <laughs> talking to his priest you know um he's like very concerned about the like fate of his immortal soul you know and um one of the things that really like powers the the drama of the like intellectual journey and the exegesis is that he's like haunted by this stuff you know there's this moment where he says um you know i'm going back to a hermetic gnostic neoplatonism um that's gonna like destroy christianity and destroy capitalism you know, he's like haunted by this. He's like, I think that I've like found out, you know, it's like I've gone back to the like roots of this, you know, modernity and this, you know, this value system we have. And I found where we, we took the wrong turn or whatever. But <laughs> but he's just like terrified by this, you know, and he's like, am I going to get in trouble for like, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, for telling people uh, this, this terrible secret information that I found out about how you know horrible the world is? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's kind of the difference, right, is that Robert Anton Wilson was, uh, like, consciously aware of his experimentation with these processes, and it seems PKD was, um, a lot of his experiences were the result of psychosis and, and drugs and neurosis, right? Something like that. I mean, um, at the same time, you know, like... So Dick was interviewed by um, a psychiatrist, uh, um, Larry Bigman, who, um, you know, is like his conclusion is that Dick wasn't like a schizophrenic. You know, he wasn't he wasn't necessarily crazy. And um, like, you know, because crazy people don't ask, wait a minute, am I crazy? Right. At the same time, though, I mean, um, yeah, he is. He's the way that he goes about. And the way that he just like won't let go, the, the, the way that he's just like obsessed um, with these ideas and, mm. um, you know, sort of like carries out this work that he chooses to do to the point that it's just very self-destructive. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like, you know, the guy had is uh, issues and, and it's, it's definitely not 
that Robert Anton Wilsonian project of, of pulling the wool over your own eyes or, you know, just, just like trying to believe in magic as a sort of a, uh, as a sort of prank you're pulling on yourself or a fake it till you make it sort of a, a method acting sort of a thing. No, like Dick thought that he was sort of like plugging into these ancient mystery religions and, you, you know, and like, just like feeling these terrible moral obligations placed on him by whatever it is that turns out to be the ultimate, you know, reality. And, and, uh, and at the same time that he, he was this consummate bullshitter, I think that he did take it very seriously. And, and in terms of like what I admire and I'm, I'm trying to, um, you know, celebrate in the, in the tarot is that um, there's a lot that we can take away from this process as as valuable this process of of reading and writing and researching and, and producing you know the, the the these notes and this kind of creative outpouring of of, of theological speculation and and science fictionalizing and, and just kind of paranoid tinfoil hat stuff because all of it uh, that dick is doing is just this this beautiful art form mm. um yeah. and uh, and it's also fascinating from a religious studies point of view um, and that it's it's kind of real, you know. Um, he's doing like a real kind of a work with this material. He's producing, you know, creatively a kind of religious thinking um, that we can take seriously. That isn't just, I mean, it, it's it is kind of. I think of a quote from Terence McKenna. You know, call it Faustian, call it obsessed. It's just sort of where we were at at the time, you know. And um, and and it was problematic it is the fruit of this this kind of insane um you know project but at the same time i mean it's it's neat it's it's fascinating and and mm. it does produce interesting results so like if you're a practitioner of you know hermeticism however we might define that like i i think that you can find a lot of interest there and a lot that can kind of inspire you and direct you on your path and, and there's a lot of also what we might call cautionary material you know where you can see um, you can see how he fell into some of the pitfalls and some of the traps. And, and you know, it's like when they warn you that this, this stuff is, uh, is dangerous, right? You know, you can look at the, uh, you know, the acid casualties and you, look, you can look at the Philip K. Dicks. Mm, right. Yeah. yeah, I feel like, yeah, there sort of was like, maybe still is a kind of a cottage industry in psychologizing Philip K. Dick. Um, and I never was, yeah, I, I've never been convinced that he was schizophrenic or anything like that. Um, just that he was interested in it. And I, I would also, you know, maybe problematize, you know, whether or not that's even like a pertinent question. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and, you know, or that people can be degrees of certain things. It's like a, it's a uh, spectrum, that, that, that sort of thing. So, you know, he might've had, yeah, schizophrenic traits. But I, yeah, um, as far as um, the tarot goes, um, how, what was it like having the sort of like the balance between the you know, Philip K. Dick's creations and sort of Philip K. Dick's uh, life? Like, how did you try to balance uh, those two aspects of like, you know, you know, the Dickian world? That's a great question, right? Because um, as you, um, you know, as a, as a tarot designer, right, you have to make a lot of decisions in terms of like, well, I got 78 cards, you know, potentially, right? Um, 
could turn turn out that you throw a card or two extra in there. Um, and uh, yeah, the 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 printer you know wants to do in blocks of eighty, so maybe you're going to put a little instruction panel in or something for your extra yeah. card. Um, but anyway, you've got you know twenty two major arcana. You've got you know ten pips in each suit. You got four different kinds of court cards for each of the suits, right? And um, so, like, h- how much is the kind of traditional tarot structure going to be imposed on your material uh, versus how much, you know, what if you want to kind of, like, go outside the box a little bit? And so, uh, you know, Christopher and I, uh, the artist, um, you know, talked a lot about, like, so how are we going to make the, you know, different suits? And, um, you know, we, we, we based it on on the Crowley-Thoth tarot really largely because that was the one that we were both familiar with. Uh, but, you know, as you can see, we ended up kind of doing our own thing with the suits and the, the cards, you know, and it's just once again, the um, the Philip K. Dick archetypes, you know, one. And so, you know, the idea of the dark haired girl, right, or the idea of the uh, the castrating shrew of an ex-wife, right? It's just like so archetypal. These have to become, you know, our, uh, our court cards. And so... Um, Whereas there's almost always something about the logic of the original tarot card um, that informs me putting that Philip K. Dick idea into that slot, I really wanted to let the the Philip K. Dick ideas win. Uh, so that um, I still haven't, and you know, I keep meaning to, but I haven't really written like the rule book for this tarot. Uh, where I explain what my, you know, and, and some of this is probably just lost to, to, to the ages now that I'll just never have written it down. Uh, whatever I was thinking, you know, back 15 years ago when I designed these, um, uh, the, <laughs> these, yeah. uh, these attributions. Uh, so, you know, each of the, the major arcana definitely, you know, cause that was the original, um, that was the original thought, um, each of the major arcana does um, have something about the original uh, tarot card idea uh, woven into it. But a lot of the time I just sort of, you know, found an excuse to like put a short story that I like into, um, into the card and then just kind of stuck it in there and just leave it up to the interpreter to find whatever that (laughs) that might be uh, left over. And uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm sure there's, there's always a reason why, you know, you want to put like disappointment, right? You know, the card that's labeled disappointment. You, there's a story with like a disappointing moment. Um, but uh, but I, I really felt that I, I was kind of going through a process of almost like channeling as I was discovering, um, you know, these associations. And uh, I, I was drawing on a kind of lifetime as a reader of, of Philip K. Dick. But when I read Dick's books, you know, I'm, I'm reading it in a similar way that he was doing in the exegesis where, you know, it's like, I don't believe that I have access to like whatever he unconsciously might've been putting there. But I do find that like, as I read the book, it's like things are just sort of happening in my head. And then the book seems to be like commenting on what's happening in my head. And I just sort of like trust that process. And I let it be a kind of like a magical uh, reading experience. And so it's experiences like that, that I was, you know, trying to re-encode uh, back and and show you how these different Dick stories can kind of give you access to that sort of uh, you know that TV channel that the tarot card is giving you a signal 
uh, to kind of like modulate on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that comes through. Um, yeah, I wonder. Yeah, you do have like the little uh, a little guidebook in there as well, and then the, sort of the games. Did you develop those all sort of from scratch? So, you know, that's a Christopher idea too, and I can't really speak a whole lot to the games. Yeah, he came up with the. Um, so in that book, uh, the stuff that I wrote is the 78 um, divinatory sentences that go yeah. uh, with each of the different cards. And um, that I'm hoping to kind of expand out. Um, so that's really in those sentences is where you can see where I'm kind of trying to balance, you know, the the traditional tarot symbolism and what's going on in the Dick story. And And sometimes I just sort of like, I'm channeling bits from just like, this is like what my feeling is about Philip K. Dick that, that goes with that different energy of the tarot. Um, so yeah, I can't really speak to the games. I would, I would be fascinated to find out what, what Chris is doing with the game thing. Cause I haven't, I haven't figured that out in, in this. Yeah. Some, one of these days we need to just like make a video of somebody playing the game so that we can have an example. Right. And I, you know, I honestly don't, don't really understand the I Ching all that well. So that whole functionality, uh, I, I can't really speak to. And I think that it's marvelous. I, I like try to weave it into the, the readings that I do, but, um, but yeah, as, as the designer, I was the, I was the classical tarot guy. Um, oh, interesting. So um, he kind of, he brought the, the I Ching and the sort yeah, of... The yeah. whole I Ching thing is, it's kind of a mystery to me. Hmm. Um, one of the great tragedies of, of my uh, my scholarly career is uh, I used to be an assistant to, to Dick's ex-girlfriend, Grania Davis. Hmm. And they actually met through corresponding over the I Ching. And in the two and a half years that I knew Grania, I finally convinced her in the last month of her life to do an interview with me about that. And it never happened, and she uh, passed away before we could do that interview. So uh, yeah. I'm hoping to get her son, Seth, to sit down with me and tell me about the content of these love letters they were writing back and forth. Wow. Or apparently discuss the I Ching, but it's like too personal for him to you know, just share the content unredacted of the letters. Right. Mm. Wow. That's a, whole, that's a whole delicate thing. Um, yeah, totally. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I, you know, I've always been interested in the I Ching, but I, I don't feel this intuitive kind of like ownership of the symbolism in the same way that, you know, like the tarot I've been kind of initiated in and, and, you know, going through all that golden dawn stuff. And then, you know, learning about the kind of like historical precursors of everything and learning about the, all the Gnostic and Hermetic traditions underlying all the symbolism, like, you know, I, I really feel plugged into that in a way that, like, I just don't have the cultural background to understand the I Ching. Mm. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I, I feel the same way. I very, yeah, I have a very uh, rudimentary understanding of the I Ching. Um, but I, I do like that they're sort of superimposed over the tarot as well. I think that's a really interesting approach. Um, and, yeah, the, the sort of uh, booklet... Uh, one line, um, you know, uh, descriptions of the cards, I think is really interesting. I haven't, I haven't used the deck yet, uh, and, you know, to, to, to do a reading or anything, but uh, do you find that, um, or do you imagine that uh, whatever reading you get from this deck will sort of situate you in a sort of Philip K. Dick universe? 
Yeah, I mean, that's the universe we're living in, right? So, right. Um, you know, hopefully you're going to get some help uh, yeah. off these archetypes to figure out, you know, am I am I in a Palmer Eldridge kind of a situation with this girl? Like, you know, what's going on, right? Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Uh, I've had a few different, you know, really interesting clients, like uh, uh, one buddy that I have through, like, the medieval studies group that I met at the Kalamazoo conference, you know, hit me up and um and like I knew his work well enough that I was able to kind of like bounce off of the kind of institutional like frustrations that I've seen this guy manifest as he's mm -hmm. like in a similar situation to Dick being told by his philosophy professor you know all this nonsense right and he's just kind of like railing against that and yeah. uh um, and, and of course, you know, like the dark haired girl stuff that I threw out, like landed with the fellow. Right. So, um, so that was a successful reading. And, and another one that I had that was really fun was a fellow who's like a photographer and, and kind of like, you know, working one of those jobs where you like, you know, take photos of kids at their, their school, you know, for their school pictures or whatever. And he's like, yeah. I really wish that I could be a little more creative with my photos, you know, but it's, this is the job. And so that was a fun one. Right. And, yeah. uh, turns out that that the uh the dickian archetypes are good not only for my project of like illustrating um but also for this you know process of doing tarot readings and you know grappling with you know the situations and the relationships that, that form your life and thinking about how you are inhabiting these spaces and what reality breakdowns you can anticipate totally yeah yeah i'm excited to to try it out um <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. Uh, it's sort of like this. Uh, it's like hyper specific to like the Philip K. Dick world. But, you know, if you are familiar with Tara, it'll still come across, um, especially with like a guidebook. It's yeah, it's kind of versatile in that way. And I, yeah, I also like that it, it serves that double function of being like a working tarot deck and a uh, sort of like a crash course in like Phil Dick imagery. Yeah, we love the way the, um, you know, the Crowley deck has the, like, name of the card on the card, right? And yeah. so you don't got to, like, memorize, you know, how the picture relates. You know, you can, you, you don't have to be looking it up, right, in, in a book. Uh, yeah. You can just kind of, like, run with it. And so we, we tried to put enough information on, on the card. And then, you know, we give you the name of the story, that inspired the illustration so really like in the same way that dick was using going back and rereading his stories as a kind of a form of divination you know mm -hmm. how am i going to figure out how ubik is the cosmic principle i got to go reread ubik and find what gnostic secrets i encoded in there uh you know and in the same way like that's you know the process that, that I'm, I'm trying to uh to make available um, to my readers. So you, if, if a story comes up as part of your reading, you can further your reading by going and reading the story. And, you know, hopefully this will teach, um, you know, or, or, or sort of suggest right openings uh, into ways that you might read the story in a Gnostic way, or like treat the story as a tarot reading or treat the story as the kind of a space that a, a tarot reading would, would open up. Hmm. Totally. Yeah. That's um, awesome. I guess, yeah, maybe uh, wrapping up sort of now, um, where, if somebody, you know, if we have a listener who has never read Philip K. Dick, where would you suggest that they start? 
Well, um, you know, we, we talked about the Vallis trilogy, and uh, I think that that's a great way to understand the kind of um, uh, hermetic Philip K. Dick would be would be to read Vallis. And uh, that novel, Ubik, uh, is another one that uh, that I think is one of the most important in terms of like the concerns that we've been uh, bouncing around with. Also, the uh, the three stigmata of Palmer Eldritch, right? That's one of the novels where we find a character who's like stuck in a in, in a kind of a manufactured reality. Mm. Um, and and so uh, also, I recommend the short stories as uh, as one of the places where um, it's it's just like the most neglected area where there's just so much rewarding stuff. Um, and uh, you know, yeah, look look up my deck, and uh, you, you'll see the uh, the stories that I recommend in there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, awesome. So where can uh, people find your, your work and where can they get the deck? Okay. Yeah. I, uh, so I'm uh, at T3DY on Twitter and that's kind of the, you know, the central repository for all my links. The Philip uh, mm-hmm. blog is, is just called Philip K. Dick and religion uh, at Blogspot, And that'll link to a bunch of my other blogs. I'm sure you can find a whole bunch of information about my, my research on uh, Dick and esotericism. You can hear my podcasts uh, on the subject. I've done a bunch of interviews. Um, and then, uh, so Wide Books is the uh, is the publisher uh, where you can order. Um, we've we've kept it to you know forty something bucks. Uh, cool. You can order the deck, and and it, it does benefit the uh, the Philip K. Dick Fest that happens every few years in Fort Morgan, Colorado, where you can party with a bunch of dickheads uh, <laughs> at, at, at the man's grave. Oh, awesome. awesome. Yeah. What's, uh, uh, what's, what's the worst adaptation, real quick, of PKD's work? <laughs> adaptation. I mean, if you want to see some scenery being chewed, you know, you want to check out Nicolas Cage in uh, in next yeah uh, which is, is one of my favorites which is about the guy who can like anticipate you know what's going to happen in the next few minutes and so he's able to get himself out uh, and and that is one of the greatest butchering um <laughs> I, I i i do think that all of the dick adaptations are, are kind of so bad that they're good you know i find them all uh, very entertaining to uh, to watch uh, ben affleck's paycheck would be another one that's just so cheesy <laughs> and, uh, and and hilarious um and uh, but i yeah i can't i can't find a single adaptation that i wouldn't find entertaining and watch and feel like it's actually wielding the dickian ideas and mm-hmm. even in a ham-fisted way it's, it's it's glorious and hilarious yeah right yeah they they do they fail in, in a way that makes them good good you know entertaining movies without yeah there's still the, the dick sensibility kind of still eludes eludes film a little bit Mm, yeah. But, oh, you know, and while we're talking bad adaptations, like the Adjustment Bureau. Yeah, that's uh, the. One I, was I, I think that that's one of the best examples of how to get it wrong. Like it gets it precisely wrong. Yeah. <laughs> from Adjustment Team to Adjustment Bureau, and it gives it like a happy ending. Yeah. It's, just a, it's a master class, and 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 what you're not supposed to do in, yeah. in adapting a dick story for sure. Gosh, yeah. it's been such a pleasure talking to you guys, and uh, yeah. I really appreciate that you let me just kind of like uh, ramble and uh, no, it's and, great, and get this stuff out there because uh, yeah, it's uh, it's super fun, and uh, I wish yeah. you the best with your project. Thank yeah, you, thank you, yeah, thanks, thanks for so coming much. On. Awesome. Yeah. Good yeah. luck with the deck too. 
All right, catch you later. And yeah, you guys want a reading, you know, hit me up. I'm uh, ted.hand at uh, gmail.com and, uh, you know, uh, invite invite people to hit me up if they're interested in getting a, a PKD Terror reading. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Will do. Yeah. Awesome. All right. All right. Cool. Take Thanks care. Thanks again. Thank <laughs> you.